My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Wednesday, April 17th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 260. Back from break and happy to be back in the office. My name is Caleb Hegg. Getting over jet lag and from an awesome time in the land of Israel. You are quiet. Why are you so quiet? Because I need to talk up. How's that? Check. There you go. Now you're in the mic. All right. So we had some technical issues at the beginning, which is why we're a little bit late. But we're doing good. Rob's got jet lag still coming back from Israel. What, what? Slowly getting my feet on the ground here. Two weeks off, man. How was it? It was great. Wasn't really off. I mean, it was uh, was Well, it was off for our listeners. Two weeks off for our listeners. is intense. Like in the city, like in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem, driving around. You know, I, th- I thought when I was in Israel that I'd never seen such bad driving in my entire life, or good driving, depending on and how you honk, look at it. people honk all the time at each other. Then like when there's no, there's absolutely nothing that can change, and people will honk just to release stress, I guess, relieve stress. Oh, well, I thought it was the worst, the worst driving I'd ever seen in my life, and then I went to the Philippines. <laughs> it, it, the, you know, I asked the driver in the Philippines... Are there any laws? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm not used to the, you know, I've driven a little bit in Canada, but I'm not used to the whole kilometer thing and the, and the, you know. Did you actually drive? All over. I drove like 850 miles. Dude, total. you are adventurous more than I thought. And, oh, but let me tell you, there's times, okay, two lane, one way freeway, right? And I'm right by a car and one of those, you know, rocket motorcycle like to zoom zoom like people going between cars like at fast freeway speeds it's like there's you know what i know what that's like like now because i got the regulator off my uh, scooter now i can (laughs) instead of being able to go 27 miles an hour now i can hit 40 (laughs) yeah i'm all over the place i don't know what's going on with my camera we've had we've had just had weird problems all morning long it looks to me like there's like I got like this soft. I don't know. I told I told it was like the soft filter that yeah, it's in like movies a soft filter. With, I, with, I can't figure with what's going on. Actresses, you know, older actresses, and they want to conceal like the the wrinkles, so they put a soft filter. That's what it looks like. Caleb it, has it on. It really right looks bad. I don't know what's going on, but you know what? On the flip side, it's a Rob, dream sequence. Rob <laughs> looks great. He looks Caleb, crisp. Just a dream. It's. It's that fuzzy dream kind of thing going on. Yeah, I don't know what's. Uh, it's so frustrating. It'll be all right frustrating all right it's the camera for sure i don't know but i don't know what to do about it Uh, well i'm you know i'm it's it's as if uh, we were in a dream 
stream. Okay. Well, um, lots has gone on. We could talk about our well. Let's we'll do we'll do uh, trip recaps here in a few seconds. Um, before we do that, let's uh, get our producers up here for show two six zero. There are executive producers. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we also like to thank all of our uh, all of our supporters. You can become a supporter for as little as five dollars a month. Um, and we have neglected the Messiah Matters More page. And the reason we've neglected it, we've just been so busy. It was a break for everybody out there. It was not a break for us. And on top of it all, I got very ill over in good old Coeur d'Alene. Boy, I'll tell you what. Talk about vacation. That was not. That was not a vacation. We, I mean, oh, anyway, before we get into that. Um, you know, I, I've been looking online to kind of see where everyone is on Passover. Nothing. The, the, the usual debates that go, you know, and this shows me that people have finally come to terms uh, with the fact that uh, that Petrie and my father, Tim Hag, have solved the chronology. No, I don't know. man. I think there's people that celebrated it last month. <laughs> and so they're not talking about it. So no, this, bring, this there's, brings up there's people that that they go by some, uh, you know, alternative reckoning and they think i don't so like get they're going to be in the fall they'll have they'll have uh you know feast of trumpets and so David's this is a, this they'll is a, be a month ahead this is a great question for everyone who decides that they're going to to keep their own calendar instead of you know like oh we're going to do it this way and be different than everyone else how do you know when they intercalate the month no they believe that they're biblically accurate i mean that's that they wouldn't it's not like they're saying oh we know the bible says one thing but we defiantly want to do something different they really believe that they're being biblical but your your point is spot on well jason jason in the chat room says we did it last month i'm not sure yeah. why you would do that i mean when you, jason tell me when are you going to intercalate the month and how do you know you went by the sighting of the moon okay whose well, sighting yeah. of the moon your own <clears throat> I mean, the, the idea that that uh, this is a that this is this this is what God wants for His people cannot be found anywhere in Scripture. Constantly, we are told that we are blessed by being part of the assembly, being part of the ecclesia. So, rogue agents who do it on their own—I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, well, I, I don't think I, it's biblical. Not, I think there's whole movements, you know, the whole Karaite thing, you know, and there's there's. Yeah, but they we don't no, see themselves. We have no example of this whatsoever in Scripture. Yeshua didn't do that. Yeshua didn't show up at the temple and be like, "Oh no, you guys are off." No, we know that that the the holiday holy day that was in dispute was Shavuot. Was how to get was no one was disputing when Passover was. It was how to get to Shavuot. Shavuot how right. to count? But even then, I mean, the temple ruled all. Yeah. So. And the barley in the land. Uh huh. I mean, once again, this show to me. No offense, Jason, but this shows me that there's that that there's a misunderstanding of how how Yeshua allowed the the calendar to be reckoned. He followed the majority, and and according to what we know, the majority uh, didn't just go off barley in the land. It didn't just go by um, by the setting of the moon. There was like six to eight different. Factors that went into it, and good factors too. What happens if there aren't enough lambs to celebrate Passover? You intercalate a year. So the question is: Is when do you when do you intercalate if you're doing it on your own? Yeah. 
I, I just don't I just don't understand. I don't get it. So that means the people who celebrated Passover last year, let's see here, what are they going to be celebrating Yom Teruah in July? Yeah, they're going to be. So then they're for sure going to have to intercalate next year. Otherwise, they're going to end up having Passover in like February or like. Uh, <laughs> pretty soon Passover's in December. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, even in the wilderness, so you're like Deuteronomy 1 talks about the 40 years in the wilderness. Well, they're in the wilderness, and then they come in, and it, it gives dates. It tells on what day, right? Well, right. how did they, in the wilderness, they were not in the land, and they enter, they must have intercalated years. Otherwise, in Joshua 5, when they enter the land and celebrate Passover, you know, they they had a way of, of keeping time that was uh, independent of the produce of the land of Israel. They knew when they call Aviv, what they call Aviv, and I know people say that means barley, Aviv. And there's, you know, I think it's Ibn Ezra makes that argument. Um, they had an understanding of calendar, you know, and, and using the moon to count months was not unique to Israel. And we know that, too. But anyway, Jason says we go by by Yah's calendar, not man's. No, that's not true. You're going by your own calendar. I mean... No matter which way you cut it, you're going by somebody else's. The fact of the matter is, is that when, when uh, we look at what the Messiah and what the, the Lord says about, um, about assembly, it's better to be part of it. The idea that... that uh, uh, you're gonna believe what Nehemia Gordon, who's citing your your grain in the, in the, or some Joe Schmo who's who's saying that the barley's ripe and the and that the crescent moon has been seen in Israel. Uh, come on, uh, and 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 then and then who decides who who intercalates? Once again, I mean, we think ultimately right in one year it might look like a good thing, but if you if you try to adhere to it over many years, you're gonna encounter. I don't have the chat room open, but you're going to encounter authority conflicts. Right. No different than, yeah. And, and you know, that's all right. It's, you know, we all learn. And But ultimately, unless you intercalate, basically what happens is, is you continue to push back all of the festivals. Pretty soon you're celebrate. You're not celebrating when it says. Pretty soon Pesach's in the fall and Shabbat, right. you know, and, and Sukkot's in the spring. Right. So at some yeah. point you have to intercalate and to be able to intercalate, you have to go by the Bible doesn't say this is how you intercalate. You have to go by system. That was my point. With Deuteronomy one, shows forty years already of intercalation. If they would have not have intercalated in Deuteronomy one, Passover would be. I did the math once. Yeah, it, Passover, you know, Passover like, would have retrograde. It would have retrograded all the way through <laughs> the calendar every year. They right. would be like, yeah, and that's not. We know that's not the case. So, um. But, but you know, but, people but, doing the best they can. The, the, the point, is, my point is, is that, look, if somebody wants to celebrate a different calendar, that's fine. That's up to you. If you want to leave the assembly and, and go and go off uh, out of the camp and celebrate on your own, that's that's totally up to you. But the point is, is that at some point you have to go by man's reckoning. And the reason why is because you have to intercalate. So either it's your reckoning, somebody else's reckoning or the majority reckoning. That's all there is to it. 
Yeah, that that's a concise way to put it. So to 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 say something like, "Oh, we go by Yah's calendar, not man's calendar." No, that misrepresents that the what the facts of the matter. Yeah, well, that's try that's trying to down other people for for taking a majority calendar. But I mean, honestly, ultimately, I think this is one of the marks of the of the Torah movement is wanting to be different. <laughs> so I mean, it can't. It's not that surprising, right? Yeah. Anyway, so Passover's coming up. <laughs> that was a long way to get around it. Um, for some, this will be the second pa- Passover. Yes. Sorry. For for the majority, uh, Passover is coming up. And I haven't seen any of the uh, chronology debates, which means I think it's put to rest. I think, I think Petrie did it. John and the synoptics line up perfectly. Yeshua was sacrificed on was crucified on Nisan 15, as the scripture states. Raised. Died on a Friday, raised on a Sunday. Easy. So the debate's over, I guess. Uh, Facebook has spoken. There's uh, there's no more debates going on. It's so, okay, come in, just, if I may, just hijack this slightly <laughs> to, to, take the, to take what we're talking about and put it over the land of Israel, having just driven all the way north as north as you can go basically and then as far south as the southern tip of the dead sea so i didn't go way into the negev but in any event there's like disputes right like so transfiguration some say it's mount tavor in in galilee or you know in the jezreel valley there uh and then some say it's mount hermon up far north right so you'll have this kind of thing um, you have the place of the crucifixion, right? And the garden tomb, you know, there's a place called the garden tomb that Christians keep and it's this beautiful garden, but people are like, yeah, but this really isn't the place, you know, this is other place. And then we were in Jaffa, um, big, nice. uh, shout out to, uh, Will and Marla from Tel Aviv. We uh, sadly we didn't get to meet Will because he was on assignment that night, but Marla treated us to dinner at the restaurant out there Old Man in the Sea uh, on Jaffa and she points out that <laughs> Caleb's trying to clean the lens. It's <laughs> annoying, man. But but she points out she's like, "Well, here's one place where they say it was Simon the Tanner's house and th- this is the house where Kepha was on the roof and had the vision of the sheet." And then you see that catholic spire over there that's where they say (laughs) simon tanner's house so so in in other words like all these things you have dispute location and and that's understandable you know let's say all of a sudden you have an influx of pilgrims right and they want to see like we read it in the bible and now we want to know like where where it actually happened well that's what happens. And you got, you, you, got, yeah, but, you got a setting up a shop over here saying buy right. tickets to my place. Oh, 20 bucks. Another... You can come see it. It's right over here. Yeah. Yeah. So in the same way that we read the Bible and we'll, you'll see a dispute about interpreting a text in the same way, the land itself is like a text that gets interpreted, right? This is the spot where X, Y, and Z happen. We were at, we were at what's called Mount Precipice, right? Which is, in Nazareth and it's, it's the South end, it's a big hill and we're there and there's a guy leading a group and he's like, yeah, this is where the Jews were going to throw Jesus off the cliff. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow, you know? And so that's precise. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I guess it's a, it, it's a candidate at least. Um, so 
there's things we know and there's things we don't know. And then there's things we, we want to speculate about and it's okay to speculate. Um, but there are places where we just don't know, you know, and that's gotta be okay. Uh, my, uh, my camera's really screwing me up. It's making my eyes go blurry. Just don't look at yourself, man. I guess. Okay. Um, so while you were uh, trouncing around Israel, I was at the Institute for Expository Preaching whoop, whoop. with Dr. Steve Lawson. And I have so to I'm say, it was fantastic. And basically, it was a room full of 120 pastors. And so these and are then, and Caleb and me and then me. Yeah, that's true. That's that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> actually, there was a guy behind me I met. He was really nice. John. John was about my age. Nice guy came over from Yakima and uh, he uh, I don't think that he was a pastor either. So this we, is cool, two, though, to show the influence of R.C. Sproul's ministry and the legacy Right? Wasn't this under the uh, Ligonier Ministry banner? Yeah, I mean, it's under it's under Ligonier. It's also under um, so there's basically three different groups that can't oh, come okay, together okay. to, to well, put it that's down. A, I mean, that's a really good turnout. That's a solid. Uh, that's influence. You know, that's that's good stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, so what are some what are some three takeaways from that that you just like? Three takeaways. Well, hang on just a sec. Let me, uh, I'm trying to fix my camera here a little. Oops, wrong one. Um, well, oh man, three takeaways. Okay, number one, always preach the gospel. And I, and honestly, you know, I, I was talking to Rob a little bit about this. This is kind of, I, I don't know, maybe it's my own gripe. I think one of the things that I realized about the Torah movement while I was uh, at this uh, this Institute for Expository Preaching is that people are so worried about, and not that they shouldn't be, I mean, but Torah observance has become the focus, so much so for some people, not all, not across the board by any stretch of the imagination, but for some people in the Torah movement, Torah observance has become the focus so much so that they have, that they are missing the main point, which is the gospel. I think that's one of the biggest problems. And I think that's one of the I think that's one of the biggest gripes that, that mainstream Christianity has with the Torah movement. Is it that, kind of is would you agree that it's like it's fragment like that one that one misstep fragments into different things. It fragments into people looking like Hasidic, you know, want feeling like they need to look like a Hasidic Jew. Right. Right. To be a quote messianic. It fragments into people thinking Oh, I I do away with all authority. I'm just going to read the Bible and interpret it what it means, as if somehow they can do that without the help of anybody else in the world. Um, and it'll fragment into the people who are have itchy ears and are going to be like, oh, it's um, you know, any of these crazy hype things, mysteries of the Bible, uh, the secrets of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, the um. Uh, what are some gematria, you know, you know, codes, hidden codes in the scripture, all these kind of things. Yeah, I agree. I hope I didn't scare Jason off. Jason, I hope you're still in, in the chat room. <laughs> uh, I came down hard on, on, on the calendar issue. Um, yeah, I think it's like, even, I think, I'm out of here. yeah, I think it's even more than that. 
I think that it's, uh, you know, I don't want to name names, but I was watching a live stream of somebody the other day. Um, and very rabbinical, you know, uh, what I would consider a semi-traditional Torah service. Um, and very wrapped up in, in uh, the rabbinical aspect of Torah observance. So, you know, and I don't necessarily see this as Torah observance. I see this as um, rabbinical Judaism, a want for rabbinical Judaism. Right. And so... Um, I think that 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 pendulum swing out of like out out of Christianity into and I I don't even think we've come out of Christianity. I think that we're totally part of Christianity, but that swing into oh let's you know all things Jewish let's let's do all things you know Jewish. I think that that becomes the focus, and that is one of the you know and then it's things like oh you know and and this isn't to put anybody down but it's things like uh, we're better oh we do this in our worship you know we blow a shofar in our worship to you or oh we read we read the hebrew you know i was talking to somebody at this at this conference and uh i said yeah you know i i've done a lot of work in the in the um torah movement and uh he said oh really I could tell instantly. Mm-hmm. And like I said, disgust. I said, yeah. And I said, he said like the messianic movement. And I said, yeah, like the messianic movement. He said, do you agree with the messianic movement? I said, yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, a soft spot for a lot of what they believe. But at the same time, I, I disagree on some of the core fundamentals like bilateral ecclesiology, which I think the tour, the messianic movement is basically defined by at this point. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, so we talked about that for a few minutes. He said, yeah, my my uh, dental, my dental hygienist is is uh, part of the, the Hebrew Roots movement. I said, oh, yeah? <laughs> he goes, yeah, she always tells me that they sing in Hebrew. And then she asks me if my congregation sings in Hebrew. And when I say no, she just kind of says, well, you know, we sing in Hebrew, kind of like. And he said, but then I always think to myself, you don't even know Hebrew. So it's like, you know, he's picking up on this superiority of like Hebrew language, which we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, and so I think that that I think that that's, uh, you know, I think that these these little things become the focus instead of brother and sister in the Lord. Like, oh, you believe in Yeshua. Great. You're a you're a brother or sister in the Lord. Now we're united in that. It's trying to nitpick these things that they think are better, you know, that people think are better because. Why? Because they're traditions. Because we speak in a different language than you. Because we sing certain songs. Because well, we- yeah, I don't. I don't know that everybody would have that idea. I think some people like to to sing in Hebrew because it's it's scripture and they're learning. It gives them something that they can remember, and they they want to learn. And they're I, like, "This I, is." Scripture. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about. I'm all about singing singing scripture. I, I think that that's so, best best. So, but I, I understand that if I and I've heard it, so I know it's true that there are people who have the the we are. You know, those Christians are bad and we've got it right. I, that's the attitude. What I that's what I hear you talking about. Right. Anyway, so um, the other thing. So to highlight that point, to highlight the point that Dr. Lawson made. What Dr. Lawson did was he brought 120 preachers and two other guys into a <laughs> room, sat them down and then proceeded to over two days, preach the gospel by expository preaching in Romans one, two and three. So he preached through Romans one through three. Uh, cool. It was, it was dynamite. It was fantastic, 
And the thing that it made me uh, that made me realize, or made me, I, I began to realize, here comes Dr. Lawson. He preaches to 120 and to people who essentially preach the gospel for a living and for, you know, that's their, that's what they do. And what does he do? He brings them in and he teaches them how to preach the gospel by preaching the gospel to them. It was, it was dynamite. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the real meat of it came in the Q and A's, um, you know, just totally unapologetic. Uh, and you know, it's always good to go hear different preachers and, and whatnot, because, uh, you hear, you know, especially good scholars, they have, everybody has jokes that they use multiple times, you know, um, my, mine, mine stink. My jokes are not good. Um, and my wife, my wife reminds me of it often, but, uh, you know, people like, like Dr. Kaiser, Dr. Kaiser has about, you know, five really good jokes that he uses in every lecture, you know, and he always goes back to them. And once you've heard the lecture, you know, any one of his lectures several times, you know, you hear three different lectures of his, you hear the same jokes three times. Now you can anticipate them. And the same with my father. My father has a lot of the same jokes and a lot of, you but know. they're well-placed jokes. Oh, yeah, of course. And the timing is spot on. But Lawson, <laughs> this guy's a pro. And, you know, you can tell that he has jokes that his wife probably rolls her eyes at at this point. <laughs> but I had never heard them. So they were just fantastic. <clears throat> um, yeah, and, and I... Uh, so that was one takeaway. Preach the gospel at all times. Right. Um, I had Always a couple of other ta- takeaways. Uh, I think that uh, one of the main uh, one of the main things that I took away from it was don't change your expository preaching schedule. So, so for instance, I, I preach expositorily uh, with the group that I'm at, and I'm I'm preaching through Acts currently, and I learned this lesson the hard way last Shabbat. Because uh, it's Passover coming up on Friday, and I I was deathly ill coming out of Coeur d'Alene, and I was oh. sick for a week. I, I missed I, I was off for a week from work, and then I missed extra days because I was so sick, and I just didn't have the time to prepare my notes for Acts. So last Saturday we got together, we sat down, and it was it was good, but we we broke away from Acts. We went through. Exodus 12, okay? Passover's coming up. Cool. But I realized that Lawson's point was well taken because if I would have preached on Acts 7 instead, Acts 7 is where we're at. Acts 7 is Stephen's speech before the council. And what does he do? He recounts Abraham through the Exodus. Right. Right? You know, from Abraham all the way through the Exodus and then up into his present time. I mean, I could have preached the Exodus from this passage. And so Lawson's point is... You don't do topical preaching. You do ex. You, you you do expository preaching and preach through a. You know, if you're a pastor or a preacher, you pick a book and you go through that book. And if you need to preach something from from the text, you preach something from that text. You don't try to go off. Uh, you know, off base. So that was a, another thing I took away, uh, which was really good. And then finally, um, the thing that I, I think probably one of the main things that I took away was the unity that I felt with the pastors in that room. Cool. You know, I think that so often the Torah movement is just so fragmented and there's just so many, uh, you know, 
so many teachers and whatnot that I that I'm just I wring my my hands at and, and wonder, Lord, why? Um, and then you know I, I go to an event like this and there's 120 guys that I just felt instantly connected with, and I I, I really enjoyed that. Cool. Yeah. Any uh, any takeaways from Israel? No. Other than driving is crazy, I think my anxiety next time, Lord willing, if I do it again, if I rent a car again and drive, it would be a little more tamped down. Wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as frightened. <laughs> it's like, cause I, it's like, okay, I can do this. Um, but it was awesome. Awesome. Had a good paper, got really good feedback. Didn't know who the guy was who gave me such good feedback. And then later I asked and I found out who it was. I'm like, oh, okay. So that, that means a lot coming from him. Yeah, we're going to actually try to take uh, Rob's video and of the lecture. We're going to piece it together and we're going to put it up. Um, hopefully, I'm not sure where we're going to put it up, but we're going to make it available for people. Good. So It's not the best audio quality, but. I'll try to work some magic and see work. what I can do. Okay, well, um, we've talked for half an hour about where we've been and what we've done. Let's uh, let's jump into a topic. This is an interesting topic, and the reason why is because my father wrote on this back in the '90s, and this and his paper's still up on the um, on the website on the Torah Resource website. And um, we got to give my dad some grace here because he wrote back in the in the '90s, and I don't think he's read this paper since the '90s. So, uh, and I think that if he did, he'd pr he would probably run in and, and make some, some very quick um, and strong edits to his work. Um, with that said, I asked my father, I talked to my dad uh, earlier today. It was 1992. 92. I, I was 11. He, he read it at the ETS when Caleb was 11. So yeah. that's uh, important context. Right. Um. Anyway, so the, the article is in my uh, is in the show notes, which I sent out. And by the way, um, we are changing the format of our um, mailing list, and so I hope everybody got the I hope everybody got the mail this morning uh, that I sent out. Anyway, um, I'll be putting up a new link for people to get onto the um, onto the list. And uh, yeah, I'll send that out in the next one. Well, actually, I'll put it up on the next uh, video. Okay, people don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. Um, and by the way, while while I'm on a minor break here, some people uh, say don't forget to come into the chat room at least a little bit today, uh, Rob. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Happily. <laughs> I'll wait till we finish because we're doing Mark's email, right? Yeah, let's do that. So Mark writes in and this is what he says. He says, hi, Caleb and Rob. I have a question regarding the use of the term rabbi in the Gospels and in the first century. Now, I don't know if I would say I disagree fully with, with Rob and, and my father on this. However, I think that I'm the one who's going to push hard, the hardest against both of them. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so he says, What tangible evidence do we have of first century use of the term rabbi outside of the Gospels? The answer is none. That I can find. Right? Okay, let's keep going with his email. Clearly, the term is in use to refer to teachers in general, yet Yeshua warns not to be called rabbi. 
Now, this we could pick this apart right here, but let's just keep going. But it does not seem to be a formal title since Yeshua does not use it of Nicodemus. Yeah, he says, are you the teacher of Israel? Though he does acknowledge he is a teacher of Israel, yet Nicodemus does call Yeshua rabbi. Could the formalization of the status of the term rabbi and what would become rabbinic tradition be an indication of the growing division between Jewish communities post-70 CE? And this is what my father argues. So my father argues in that paper, I, I don't know if he would uh, hold to it uh, as strongly today, but in his paper, in his conclusion, he says this is a theological insertion by by Matthew. In other words, the the um, the, the meaning was there by, by Yeshua in something that he spoke and then um, Matthew uses modern words and uses those modern words back into the story. Um, and so that, that's the conclusion that my father comes to in that paper. Once again, that's in 1992. Um, and so I, I think that he would probably divert from that at least a little bit in, in his understanding. Um, so uh, let's go back to Mark's uh, pay, uh, email. He says, be, uh, be an indication of the division between Jewish communities post-70s E response to Jesus and later to his disciples who were going about teaching and proclaiming his words. I seek to avoid as much as possible what would become later traditions, anachronisms, influencing what I read in Scripture. Yeshua readily receives the use of rabbi, yet never formally appears to be educated as those in Nazareth seem to be saying in Matthew 13, 54. My father and I actually talked a bit about smicha, which, which is like rabbinic ordination. Um, and my father was saying, and I once again, I, it's, I really don't want to misrepresent my dad. So at some point, maybe we'll have to have him, uh, you know, really have a conversation with us about this. But ultimately, um, you know, I was saying that I think the the idea of any kind of rabbinic ordination or teacher ordination, um, smicha as it's called, I think that that's late. I think that's much later. You know, at least second century. So I don't think. Whereas, um, I think my father would take some exception to that. Um, so, anyway, um, Yeshua readily receives the use of rabbi. He never formally okay. Looking at the 16 recorded references of the use of the term rabbi, most are used by Yeshua's disciples of him. Yeshua, well, I, that's in John, though. I think this is important. We need to note this first and foremost. The Synoptic Gospels are, are written much earlier than John. So the argument from the term rabbi in John is that by this time, this transition phrase is, is in full transition. And maybe we'll talk about what I mean by transition fr sure. phrase. But um, I believe that John was written probably around 95. And if this is the case, then you have, basically we have to string uh, a timeline together, and we'll do that in a few seconds. Um, Yeshua uses it twice in Matthew, warning not to be called rabbi, three times by Judas of Yeshua as he is betraying him, twice by Peter of Yeshua, once by a blind man of Yeshua. Of Yeshua's eight times in the Gospel of John, variously by his disciples and others, and once of John the Baptist by his own disciples. Two of these are in the first chapter by those who did not know Yeshua yet as a teacher. Your thoughtful discussion of this word would be appreciated. Um, so good my, email. Good email, Mark. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for that. Very good. It's a good topic, and it, your email is really clear, and it's a um, you did a good job of actually kind of putting everything out on the table, I thought. 
Yeah, so uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things that need to be highlighted. One of my father's main points is that in the Synoptic Gospels, the only time that rabbis used essentially is by Yeshua's uh, uh, detractors, for the most part. Now, Nicodemus is in John, so that wouldn't that wouldn't be the case. But in the Synoptics, it's basically his enemies that call him rabbi. So, uh, what does that mean? Is it kind of a um, kind of a put down almost. So uh, there's things that we can that we can say in terms of the text. There's thing you know, and when I say timeline, or like not a put down, but a um, like a mock, like mocking him. Right, maybe. right, 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 right. Like they don't really mean it sincerely. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, so that that feeds to that's important information. Like if we are going to chart the way the word is used over time, which is where you're headed here. That's one little piece of information that's important. If they can use it like trying to shine someone up when in their hearts they have, you know, their hearts are bent on wickedness, then that shows that it is in other circles a term of sincere um, expression, you know, endearment. I mean, I can't prove this at all because I haven't done the research on it, but I have a sneaking suspicion, and this is just a suspicion, that the term rabbi became, came to prominence in the diaspora. In other words, outside of the land. Because basically what you have is within the land, people the, the hub of religious life is the temple, and the people who ruled in the temple were the priests. You go to the you go if you have a problem or you have a dispute or something like that. What do you do? You go to the temple. The priest is the one that you take it to. And so, what do you do if you're outside the land? Well, we don't have real real good information on this, um, and there's not a whole lot of information on this. But the, the, it might be that the, that the uh, synagogues were basically uh, being used as as a I don't want to say replacement because obviously there wasn't sacrifices going on, but some form of a authoritative replacement for the temple. So you go to, you know, my, my suspicion is that they go to the synagogue and the person who is, quote, in charge of in the synagogue is you go to, I have this dispute, I have this problem, you know, help me, what do I do? And they become the leader or the prominent person in the community. And because of this, this grows and grows and grows until pretty soon, if the rabbi says it, this is, you know, it's like, it's like the priest saying it. It's like, it's like God saying it, essentially. The problem that I have is that I think that, that the term, you know, if Yeshua uses the term rabbi, now I'll, I'll say this and then I'm going to throw this over to you and you can, you can take off. Um, if Yeshua really uses the term rabbi in Matthew, what is it, 23? Um, this is sometime in between 30 and 33, which means that if he really uses this term, then it's already come, then this title has already come to prominence. It's already become something more than just teacher. And well, and Yeshua sees it happening. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, gotcha. Um, so that, I mean, that's my, that's my thought. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think that, you know, looking back at your dad's article and, you know, reflecting on my own, you know, thoughts, I think that one thing, and this is what kind of a, the core or one core theme in Mark's email is that 
we want to be careful not to impose something from a later time on an earlier time, right? We call that anachronism. So I think we all agree we want to be accurate and, and recognize that time frame matters. Um, and we don't want to import. Um, so one argument is like, oh, the later gospel writers are putting words in Yeshua's mouth. Yeshua right. didn't really say this about rabbis, but we want to teach that uh, we have an important doctrine we want to teach that is authoritative, that comes from the heart of Yeshua's teaching, and we're going to put it in his mouth. So that's one way you'll see that. And that's uh, one way of understanding anachronism in the Gospels. Another way of understanding anachronism uh, in the Gospels would be to say, don't, it's a, you know, sure, Yeshua used the word rabbi, and some of his disciples called him that. And, you know, in the garden at the resurrection, uh, Mary Magdalene said Rabuni, right? Rabuni, which right. is my great master, basically. Um, you can say those are legitimate. Those, those things really were said. He was really called that. But the anachronism we want to avoid is the meaning of the term. We right. don't want to take the Yehuda Hanasi, you know, from the second century and beyond and take their repackaging and attempt to say that they own the, uh, some sort of tradition that goes all the way back to Moses and they decide who's truly a rabbi or not but through simicha, through ordination, we don't want to take that and say that is the proper framework for understanding the Gospels. So that's another kind of anachronism that we want to be aware of. Um, and that's kind of where I settle, is I'm in that group. I'm going to say, yeah, uh, rabbi, uh, rabbi, actually it's not rabbi, it wouldn't sound like rabbi, it would be rabbi or rabboni, um, that those were a term used by people voluntarily for people that they saw as having authority. It was not official. And it slowly over the first century is starts to become, uh, you know, it kind of becomes hijacked by religious elite and they try to control the term. Um, there is one, I, I looked at inscript, some inscriptions. There's, you know, the vast inscriptions that we have from cave, uh, from uh, tombs in caves, one of which I visited, Besharim, where all the, like, Judah Hanasi and all these are buried. Um, they have the word rabbi, but those are all burials from the second, you know, the, from the year 200 to the year 400. Right. But there is w apparently one inscription that was found in Jerusalem dated to the first century that says Rav Hana. And it's just Reish Bet, Rav. Um, and that, and so it's like, well, was this his title? What what did he do? And that takes us back into Tanakh. And in Tanakh, we do have the title Rav, like in Jonah chapter one, the Rav HaHovel is the, he's the captain, the ship captain. And we have uh, in Daniel one, I, I looked some of these up, Rav, uh, Rav of the, sorry, Sav, the, the chief of the eunuchs. Right. And so this word in then in the if you look in the Greek, they translate it as the first or as the archos, right? The 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 one in authority. And so even in Tanakh, we have the use of the word Rav in this manner as a master or one who's in charge over other people who has authority. And that those but in each of these cases, the people under them have to listen to his words. Right. Right. The chief if you're on a sailing ship like Jonah one. You know, 
you can't, you know, the nature of a, of a ship that's going to successfully sail and navigate waters, you know, from point A to point B, there's a real strict authority structure. Right. And so that's the understanding of Rav in the Tanakh with whether it's in Esther one, the Rav of the house, the chief of the house or the Rav, uh, sorry, seem in Daniel one, the chief of the eunuchs, these people are in authority and there are consequences if those who are under their authority, you know, try to go rogue. Right. Right. They're not going to last. They're going to be thrown overboard or they're going to, you know, the ship's going to land and that guy's going to be out, you know? So I, I see there is some continuity with the gospels with this and there's, and then there's some discontinuity. The continuity I would say is when, when Yeshua's disciples are calling him Rabbi, that reflects their soul devotion to his teachings on one hand. Right. They're not going to, they're not going to go listen to him and then go compare it with some other guy who's called right. Rabbi. Rabbi yes. Right. Um, and, but the people who are the people who have evil in their hearts and they go to Yeshua and they call him Rabbi, even, even Yehuda, right. Even Judas, those people are, Already, that that uh, split between the lip service and what's in the heart already reflects that this term is getting out of hand, um, and that it's a term of quote respect, and they think that they're going to show Yeshua respect somehow in their hypocrisy by using it, uh, and of course he sees through it, um, and he says, "Don't be called it." And that's uh, to this day, I'm shocked. You know, in the messianic, there's people who call themselves. Uh, rabbi i um it's it's strange to me um yeshua says uh, don't be called it and um so uh but to, back to the point um there's a, a change of meaning in the term over it over the time we want to be on guard of anachronizing like taking meaning from later and importing it into earlier um and so the question then is, it, can we say Yeshua is my, you know, Rabbi? And and I would say yes, um, but be ready to recognize, you know, that other people might import that other meaning and say, oh, do you mean that he received, you know, that he's part of this chain of, of oral Torah transmission that goes back to Moses? And I'm like, no, because that's, that's right. the anachronism. Those are the people that you know, frankly, are the, the need to make the adjustment. Um, but again, you know, it's, you, you got to just uh, do your best with the people you're talking to and, and be kind and, and have a good answer, you know? And I think that's kind of behind what Mark's email is here is, is, is thinking through this topic and, and getting comfortable with talking about it um, so that you can be confident in, in how you use it and how you talk to other people about it and, and give a reason. No doubt. Okay, Rob, I'm going to give you five minutes. Okay, I got to log in then. <laughs> While Rob uh, totally neglects all of us here on air and simply digs his head into the chat room, um, I will talk about an email that we got. Um, now, I'm not going to read this whole email because it's it's an interesting one. Um, so... And I, I'm not even going to use names because I don't want to call anybody out here. Um, but the basic point is, is uh, somebody sent a e one of our emails that Tor Resource sends out 
to a friend. The friend responds and says, uh, <laughs> I found that this website has a lot of knowledge as other others out there, but too many faulty scholarship conclusions. Do not cite their exact historical sources well enough. <laughs> I don't know what website you're... you're you're uh, referring to, but I think that every single one of my father's papers is uh, very well documented. And this is one of my favorite parts that he says, uh, this person says, uh, doesn't uh, cite their historical sources enough to prove anything. And ones like the, this prioritize the Pharisee Talmudic authors too much. They're talking about, and the email that was sent was on the new moon on, on uh, Rosh Kodesh. Um, and so it's interesting that they say, and ones that like this, prioritize the Pharisees, Talmudic authors too much. Now, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Um, now, one of the, there's a couple of things that just need to be uh, said off, off, the, off the cuff here about this response. And this response was not to, to me or to anyone else. It was to the person who sent me the email. So I want to be really careful about how, how I respond to this. Uh, because it wasn't directed at me. But this person refers to my father, Tim Hag as a so-called scholar. Tim Hag and other so-called scholars like him make big mistakes. To me, this shows a lack of, I mean, this basically, you know, if you were to say this about somebody who, who uh, didn't have any school and was an internet uh, scholar, okay, fair enough. Uh, however, my father has two master's degrees and has done a lot of very diligent and hard work. He's presented at the ETS and SBL many times. He ha is a well-respected author among even Christian scholars. So he's not a so-called scholar. Uh, he's a scholar. And for someone to say a so-called scholar uh, shows, I think, probably a insecurity and or lack of scholarship on their own behalf. In other words, to say so-called scholar means there's probably a, a feeling of lack of adequacy here in their own ability um, to to navigate texts, honestly. I mean, you could say that about me. I'm not a scholar. Uh, I All I do is try to keep Rob on track. Rob's a scholar. My dad's a scholar. Uh, my job is is much more in in herding cats than anything else. Uh, back to topic, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, th some of the points that are made in this email, and, and the reason we're responding to this is because um, I, it j there's this there's I I feel an arrogance here that uh, within the email um, that's one thing. So for instance, he says. Um, that there is a, a pr that, that that we prioritize Pharisaic Talmudic authors too much, but then he goes and he he uses his main source, uh, who is, <laughs> according to the view of Baralon, a historical expert in the realm of scribes and priests in the first century. Okay, now this whole debate is whether or not the scribes or the Pharisees had control of the temple proper at the time. Uh, he he's referencing this book Mikra. Uh, and and the article by Baralon in here. Baralon, if you look at this article, which I've I've read now, his whole argument is based on the Talmud and the Mishnah, the whole thing. So basically, this person says uh, Tim Hag, a so-called scholar, is too dependent on Talmudic Pharisees, uh, you know. But then he quotes Baralon, who is one hundred percent dependent on the the Talmud and the Mishnah. So there's obviously a double standard. But let's look at the argument that's being made here. And this is really, I think, the, the main point. He says, for, for example, the Pharisees 
were not in charge and did not rule the second temple, uh, but only the synagogues. Okay, well, this right here is, is kind of a misnomer. And the reason why is because we don't know who ruled the temple. And now I agree that I understand and I, and I know that m many scholars believe that the Pharisees or that the Sadducees did rule the temple. This is debated too. And we know this from such scholars as if you just look at, I mean, take any of Fitzmaier, Bach, Keener, all these guys who have done substantial works on Acts, they will all admit, yes, it seems as though the Sadducees had some role at the temple, but we can't say hands down that the, that the priests were Sadducees. We can say that they had some interaction. I think with the interaction that the Sadducees had, they were aristocrats. The, the Sadducees were aristocrats. And so I think that the main uh, point that we, the main uh, interaction that we have, I think this is a personal opinion and I, I can't prove this, but I think that what may have been going on is that the aristocrat Sadducees were the ones who had put up the marketplace within the temple. You know, Yeshua goes in and he throws over the, the tables. I think that this was all ran by the uh, Sadducees. And since they had the financial control of the temple, financial control of the temple, I think that, the, uh, that they had the major dealings with Rome. However, I think that the Pharisees had much more sway in terms of the calendar and the, the procedure within the temple than the Sadducees did. And the reason why is because, according to later rabbinics, and I understand that this is later rabbinics, the Sadducees had a different calendar than the Pharisees did. But the Pharisees were the, but the calendar, according to what we know, in the temple went according to what the Pharisees said. Not only this, but... The, the fact is, is that when uh, the, the uh, disciples are brought before uh, the, the council, Gam Gamaliel, a Pharisee, is the one who has the ear of the... He, it says that he was well-respected among the people. What people? Not the, not the, uh, the council itself, but among the, pe the people. So the idea that, yeah, they ruled the synagogue, yeah, they ruled the, if they ruled the synagogue, they had the ear of the people. They had the control of the masses, which means that they had more control than what this person wants to give uh, credence to. Um, he says here, he says, Can't, uh, we can see the Sadducee priests, Sadducean priests were in charge of the temple. No, we cannot see that. And the scribes were heavily represented by the Sadducean priests. This person wants to equate Sadducee with scribe. But from what we know, the scribes and the fair, the scribes, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees both had scribes. So a scribe was someone who was probably very proficient in the text, was able to read, um, and and knew the scriptures. So both the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees had scribes, and we see this throughout scripture. Um, where's the quote that this person gives? They give, oh, we... We also have the New Testament as further evidence for this historical fact accurately, such as Acts 5.17. I love this. Uh, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Okay. Um, Acts 5.17 shows the chief priest to be included with the Sadducees at that time. No, it shows the high priest to be with Sadducees, not part of Sadducees. Now, I'm not saying that the high priest couldn't have been a Sadducee, but it it certainly says that he was with the Sadducees, although it is unclear how many Sadducees might be from uh, might be from outside the priesthood. The idea that the that the Sadducees ruled the temple and that therefore 
they, I mean, they ruled the priesthood. Uh, it just can't be proven. And the fact of the matter is, is that there was one calendar at the temple. You couldn't just bring it. You couldn't bring your sacrifice. I mean, and this isn't to dig on anyone in the in the uh, in the chat room. But if you brought a sacrifice a month before the temple Passover and you said, here, sacrifice this and give it back to me, I'm going to go celebrate Passover. What would they say? Absolutely not. You couldn't just nobody. You couldn't just make up your own calendar and bring it to the to the temple. There was a set calendar in the temple. Yeah, because there's extra work that the priests have to do. Right. Right. There's like just like there's work for the there's additional burnt offerings, simply you know for Rosh Chodesh and for Shabbat. So there you well, have that not, cycle. Boom, right there. And not only then, that, but but then the, if it's if it's Passover, it's the first day through the seven days of uh, unleavened bread, you've got additional burnt offerings. So well, yeah, it's, this it's, is... It's not just that. The, the lamb, you, you had, with the masses, you took the lamb out of the temple proper. <clears throat> there was no other sacrifice where you brought it, the priest slaughtered it and dressed it and then gave it back to you. You couldn't go into the temple and be like, here, butcher this for me. Throw some blood on the altar. It didn't work like that. There was one set. And who, who ruled that? Was it the Sadducees? No, from what we know, the Pharisees were the ones who ruled the people, and the people basically, I mean, we know this from Gamaliel, right? He has enough sway with the people that the Sadducees do what he says. So the idea that that this, first of all, it's a misnomer to say, hands down, and to take from Baralon, by the way, uh, who is resting solely on Mishnah and Talmud, it's a misnomer to say, oh, the, the priests were, Sad, were Sadducees. We can say that the that some of the priests may have been Sadducees, and we can say that the aristocrats that the Sadducees were aristocrats, and we can also say that the Sadducees had some dealing within the temple. But we are unclear on what that is. That's Not only that, one. one other bit though is he wants to say in Matthew twenty three when it says scribes and Pharisees, he wants to say that that means Sadducees and Pharisees, right. So when, when when Yeshua says, you know, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moshe's seat, what this email person is saying is that, oh, what by scribes he means Sadducees. And no, that's not true. Matthew is very clear throughout. There's like, I think there's 22, no, maybe 11 times. There's a, It's 22 total, but it's 11 times because it's 11 scribes, 11 Pharisees. Um, 11 times where you have scribes and Pharisees. Right. But Matthew... Also, we'll talk about chief priests and scribes. Right. And he does that six times. Chief priests and the scribes. And then sometimes he'll include elders. Right. But when he talks about, and then sometimes he'll say Pharisees and Sadducees a few times. And then sometimes he'll just talk about the Sadducees specifically. And to conflate, here, here's an important thing. A Sadducee and a scribe are not to be conflated. Right. At all. Sadducee has a doctrinal investment, and Matthew makes it clear that it's that they denied resurrection of the dead. Right. Well, Matthew he's not tells just, us Luke that. does too. Scribes, scribes too. are not known by a doctrinal commitment, by what their guild is, by what they do, what their profession is. A right. scribe is known because what he produces for the community in terms of writing things, whether right. it's a copy of the Torah scroll, whether it's a mezuzot, tefillin, uh, 
uh, ketuvah, right? You know, a marriage or any kind of thing. A scribe is called that because of his vocation. Right. What he does for a living. And that they have authority because they know texts really well. The Sadducees are doctrinal, have a doctrinal horse in the race, that there's no resurrection. And we learn from Acts that they say there's no angels either, right? So, um, and we know in Acts, when when Paul, he, he says it's because of the resurrection of the dead, and he parts the waters, kind of, you know, he parts it because, you know, some were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. Um, there was a, a doctrinal issue. So, for this guy who flippantly calls your dad a so-called scholar, and then tells us that we need to read Sadducees well, in this Matthew 23 passage that's so, so, talking about scribes. Yeah. The guy's totally uh, inflated beyond belief and, you know, needs to go back to school. And 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 you've, you made it clear that he's quoting a guy who's using rabbinic literature uh, to make an argument. And then he's at the same time telling us that we're using too much rabbinic literature. I, I It's all confused. I love it how I look in the chat room after Rob goes in there. It just looks like a blue bomb went off because Rob's name is in blue because he, at least on my screen, because he's a, uh, um, because he's an admin <laughs> in there. So he goes in and he doesn't just like comment on the last comment. He goes in from the beginning and just comment, comment, comment. It's like, well, I just, I picked, I scrolled through. I had to choose a couple. I couldn't do all of them, but I'm uh, out of there good. now. So it's I had good. to, I did. Good. They say, thanks for coming and playing. Um, yeah. So anyway, the, what's more, you know, the more I study acts and the more I, I, uh, understand about first century dealings, the more I realize we just don't know. There's stuff we don't know. Yeah. We got to be okay with that. Yeah. No, here's, and here's the thing. If you want to get into the rabbinic world, there's always an answer. <laughs> right. And, th and this is no different than like Mormonism, for example, you know, Mormons. Like a good, a good religion these days will pretty much have answers for everything, you know. Um, you know, and here's here's a good example just in the Jewish world. If you buy, like a JPS Torah or Tanakh, English Hebrew, and then you buy, let's say, a art scroll, Tanakh, English Hebrew, there's one thing that you will always find in the JPS that you'll never see in the art scroll, and that is a little, some an occasional footnote that says. Meaning of Hebrew uncertain. Because in JPS, it's not that their scholarship, it's not like these people just don't know enough Hebrew as right. the Chabad guys do. That's not what we're talking about. What they're saying is that this is a word, let's say, that occurs one time, and we're not exactly sure what it means. And, and what they'll do is they'll say, okay, the Septuagint takes it this way, the Targum says it this way, and it it we have this word in Arabic or Ugaritic that sounds kind of like it, and it might mean this, but we just we just don't know for sure. You'll never see that in a Chabad publication, right. like an art scroll. You'll right. never see that. What you'll you'll see all sorts of leaps and and gymnastics and. Uh, you know, Gematria and Roche Tevot, all these kind of things to, to say we, you know, we are the guardians of the tradition. Right. So, and that's just in the Jewish world. We don't even get into the Messianic world and we can see that. So, you know, it comes down to value system. What do you value? Do you value the truth? Are you okay not knowing something? And if you have, you know, if there, if you know teachers that never say, I don't know, then big problem. Big problem, yeah. 
Okay, it's been fun. I look like I'm in a dream still. So I'm going to try to fix that before next time. Um, great, great, uh, great discussion. Hey, yeah, I, I was, even with just a couple minutes I was in there, I was just glad to see all the names and, and the back and forth. And, uh, you know, I, I gave my two cents on a couple things. And, but uh, I saw right, it. it was so like 40 something people in there. So that's pretty cool. At some point, we're going to have to try to do something for, uh, Here's what we're, we're going to do. You know what? Uh, Rob and I are going to Oklahoma here. And maybe what we'll do is for the people who are, we'll catch up people in Messiah Matters more. Uh, for our supporters, maybe we'll record all of it and put it in the Messiah Matters more. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that, that'll catch us up a little bit. And maybe we'll try to get uh, Rob's lecture in there first. Stuff like that. So I know we've neglected you, uh, that, that page a little bit, and I apologize. But we'll... we'll We'll make it up to you, I promise. All right, guys. Uh, thanks so much for the discussion in the chat room. It's been fun. And, of course, it's always fun being back. We'll be back next week, and we'll talk about I don't know what. Happy Pesach, everybody. Happy Passover. We for hope those convers- celebrating it. We, yeah, we hope this conversation is done. One thing, that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.